Okay, Psalm 85. We're going to read um, Psalm 85 together this morning, so please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, that Psalm. I don't have the exact page in the Pew Bible, but I'm sure sure it's easy to find the Psalms uh, right in the middle of the Bible. So uh, please turn with me to Psalm 85, please. All right, let's read God's Word together this morning. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its fruit. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his death. Well, friends, this is God's word. Uh, let's pray. Uh, now, I've been informed that if there, is, there are children here, there may be crash, but maybe, right? But there's no one, no, no children here, that's fine. Okay. Well, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you'd help us to understand it and to apply it in our hearts and lives. We want to thank you for the privilege and honor of sharing your word with your precious people. I pray this morning that together uh, we will understand and apply your word in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, revival. That's what we're going to speak about this morning, a cry for revival. Uh, Just this past week, I was speaking to um, a couple of guys was saying, giving me an update of the work of the Presbyterian Church in Australia and the church here in Victoria. In fact, tomorrow we have the commencement of the assembly and tomorrow morning we have a speaker speaking about the state of the church and where is the Presbyterian Church heading towards. And then I received this statistic that concerned me that since 1977, 25% of our ministers have left the denomination. In fact, yesterday I had a, an occasion to attend and this brother minister had left the ministry I think around seven or eight years ago, the challenges of ministry. The church, what is the state of the church in Australia? Not just the Presbyterian church, but the state of the church in this land. Do you think, I'm just putting a question to you, do you think 
that we need a revival, a gospel revival in Australia. <laughs> right, I should think so, right? Okay, a gospel revival in this land. And I must say to you, friends, I keep constantly, by God's grace, praying for revival in this land. I pray for you as a congregation every day. I pray for God's purposes for us as a church. I pray for God's purposes for me in my life. Why do I serve you? What is his purposes for me for the next whatever number of years that he gives me to serve him? How do I serve Christ? To the glory of his name. You see, this morning, I want to speak on this topic. It's a cry for revival based on our text today, which is Psalm 85 and verse 6. These words, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? You see, we don't, friends, really know the specific context of this psalm. There is nothing in the title that gives us an historical setting to this psalm. The psalm is simply introduced, if you have your Bibles open, you will see that, as another of the songs of the sons of Korah. However, observing the contrast between the first three verses, and there are verses four to seven, it seems to me that this psalm has been sung by God's people after their return from exile. Psalm 85 was probably written after the Jewish people returned to their land following the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah told the people that their captivity would last 70 years and that the Lord would restore a remnant to the land. And the first, I'm giving you some background here. The first Jews to return to Jerusalem did so in response to the decree from Cyrus, the Persian king, in 538 BC. And we can read of their return in the book of Ezra. And just imagine that. The people were in exile, in Babylon, in a foreign land, under pressure. And God in his providence, just God sent them there because of their disobedience and their sin. And God in his grace is now bringing them back. And the people must have been really filled with joy to return to their homeland. For example, if you're traveling overseas or if you're traveling around Australia and you're coming down in the plane, coming down to Melbourne, doesn't that give you a nice feeling? You're coming home. For those who live in Sydney, well, sorry about that, but other parts of the place. It's nothing like coming back home, isn't it? If you're traveling and you're in the plane and you see Melbourne from, from your window and you say, oh, I'm coming back home, coming back to the homeland. When, I'm, uh, tra- when I travel to Sri Lanka and I see the first lights of Colombo and, and, and the nation, wow, this is great, I'm coming back to the land that I was born in. So the people were, were kind of filled with joy to return to their homeland. And at this time, the foundations of the temple were laid for rebuilding, and the temple itself was completed around 520, 515 BC. But somewhere along the way, the Jews also tried to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we read of this in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, 
Have a look and read the book of Nehemiah. It's a fantastic book. And if you look at Nehemiah, the prophet Nehemiah, he went out, he examined the walls of Jerusalem, and Nehemiah faced battle after battle, both inside and outside. People were making fun of Nehemiah, saying, man, you're going to build those walls? When the fox goes on the walls, the wall's going to crumble down. Imagine that. And there was discouragement, there was despondency for Nehemiah. You know what Nehemiah did? Nehemiah did a few things. He prayed. Nehemiah had an arrow prayer to God. You know some of those arrow prayers that we do? For example, if you're going at a shopping center and you can't find a car park, do you always say a prayer? Lord, I hope I find a car park. And then suddenly one comes around and say, wow, this is great. One of those, uh, I'll just give you this example, all right? One of the arrow prayers, right? But then also there are those deeper prayers that Nehemiah prays for. And then he continues to work. And there is prayer and labor. I remember my school motto at Wesley College, ora et labora, pray and, there are Wesley College students here, you know that, pray and, no, okay, it's a Sri Lanka day, pray and labor on, right? Pray and labor on. And so Nehemiah comes into the scene. And God now had rescued his people and, and blessed his people. And this is remembered in this psalm. And this should be a real encouragement to the people of God. But somehow, somehow along the way, they were discouraged. Somehow they had lost their spiritual fire. And hence this prayer by the psalmist, Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Will you, not re- will you not revive us? You see, this is a pointed prayer, friends. It is a pointed, specific prayer for revival. And the people here have felt the isolation of life in exile. Life was tough for them when they returned. They had grown weary. The battle was on. And in such a context of returning one can easily lose heart, right? You might look at the church. I know I'm jumping ahead here, but I'll just give you an example. You might look at the church at times and wonder what is going on. You might look at Australia and wonder what's happened to Christianity in this land. Have you ever been discouraged about it? Have you ever asked the question? Have you looked around and wondered, is God at work in this land? Is God at work in the church? There might be times that we might lose heart. And so there is this cry to God for restoration, for revival, for rejoicing. And while there is a cry, if you look at this psalm for for revival, the writer of the psalm focuses on the past mercies of God so that he and the people could be encouraged in the God that they have believed and what God had done for them. And we see this particularly, friends, if you have your Bibles, you will see that in Psalm 85, verses 1 to 3. The Lord showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. You see, they would have been filled with gratitude for what God had done for them. He had protected his people in exile. He had opened the way for them to return. He gave them a brand new beginning because he was a gracious God. 
You see, the God of the Bible is a gracious God. The God of the Bible is a generous God, right? He is generous in his love. He is generous in his providence. He is generous in his being. And as Christians at times, I wonder about that in our own lives. See, are we stingy in our time, in our gifts, the way we, 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 we look after one another? Or are we a very generous people who have responded to this generous God who has given everything in his grace and goodness for us and continues to provide for his people? And look at what we see and notice the words. Notice the words in, in just verses 1, and, 1 to 3. Your favor, you've restored, you forgave, you covered all their sins, you withdrew your wrath, you turned from your fierce anger, things that God has done. What a great God, that he would have mercy upon his people, even in the midst of their sin against him. God had delivered his people in the past, even prior to the Babylonian exile. Remember, look at verses 2 and 3. What a blessing to be forgiven by God. Notice the language of judgment and grace. Friends, this is the God that we are called indeed to serve and to know and to follow. We read in Exodus chapter 24 that God is a consuming fire. Now what do we see in this psalm? He turned his fierce anger away. He covered their sins. This is because of what God has done. He forgave their iniquity. You see, this is the greatest of all mercies that we can receive from God. The forgiveness of our sins against the true and living God. Are you rejoicing in that this morning? The psalmist says in Psalm 130, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? In Exodus 15, Moses and Miriam, they began to sing. Why did they sing in Exodus 15? Because God had delivered his people from Egypt. You see, they sang. They rejoiced. The great God has been their God and brought them to the present day. You see, look at St. Stephen's, for example, for a moment. Look at St. Stephen's. We have existed for how many years? 126. 125, I'm going to the 126th year, right? We have people who have written the books and everything, right? Uh, hist- historians are here in this place, right? <laughs> I see Margaret smiling away there. But as a minister, I've been here over just 10 years, uh, coming up to 11 years. Not a long time, a short time in comparison to many of you who have been members here for a very long time. And these past couple of weeks, I've been reflecting upon the life of the church, and I'm humbled to be a minister of this congregation and to see how God has graciously kept us through the hard times and the good times. I thought about these things. I thought about uh, those who have come to faith in Christ. Quite a few. I thought about those who have made public profession of faith in this church. A few. I think about the joy to support mission partners by setting aside 12% of our income to missions that goes there. I thank God for many who sacrificially serve the Lord in this church. It's a joy to see some from this congregation go to the mission field. And now God has raised a candidate to be a theological student at the PDC, Greg. 
I think about the joy of employing a full-time second minister, which would have we never thought this would happen 10 years ago. We think about the renovations of the buildings on the property. Remember those old toilets? Nothing was wrong with them, but uh, anyway, other people might have a different view on that. Remember the, 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 the cupboards that were hanging in the, in, the, in, the, in the kitchen? Some of you ladies will know that. The doors were hanging out and we had to put stuff to keep those cupboards in place. These are renovations by God's grace and mercy. I also reflected upon the numerous challenges that we have faced together and how God has helped us to navigate through the tough times and the good times here in St. Stephen's. The times when there were the tears, times when we have stood strong, times when we have grieved the death of loved ones. I have a funeral file in my cupboard, in my filing cabinet. I have done so many funerals here, people who have gone and gone to be with the Lord. You see, it is, it is absolutely easy for us to forget the blessings of our God, isn't it, in the past. We forget that. We forget it. And that's what's happened here. The people have forgotten this great God. They've forgotten about the, 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 the power of this God. And the psalmist reminds himself of God's grace to the people. Notice that the Lord showed favor to the land. The land is his land. The people are his people. He restored the fortunes of Jacob. That is, he gave to them the land. It is all his. But now notice what has happened to the people in this psalm. They were spiritually alive at some stage in their lives, but in a spiritual sense, they have died. They've forgotten the God that sustained them and, forgo- and, and forgave them. And so we read in this psalm a cry, a prayer. Restore us again, O Lord, uh, God our Savior. Will you be angry with us forever? And then in verse 6, our text, will you not revive us again? What does it mean to be revived? It means, friends, this. It means to be resurrected. It means to be made alive. It means to make anew. And spiritual revival can be defined like this. When ordinary spiritual conditions are intensified to the extraordinary. I'll explain it. Say it again. When ordinary spiritual conditions are intensified to the extraordinary. So in revival, God does great things. I looked at my history this past week in preparing this sermon. See, I think of the, the, the years 500 to 1500 AD that we call the dark ages of the church. Think about the New Testament church that began before that period. It was as if God in, in, in that period, 500 to 1500 AD, it was as though God had turned his back on his people. And then in the 1500s, what happened? Come on. The Reformation. We've been looking at the Reformation at our evening services. Remember that? The five, the five solas. Sola gratia, sola Christo, sola fidei, and all of those solas, sola scriptura, the, 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 the sola, solo, sola deo gloria, glory to God alone, the five solas. The Reformation. It's described as the greatest revival since Pentecost. It was like the Old Testament revivals and restorations in Ezekiah's time. Then I think of the Puritan revivals in 16th and 17th centuries. And I won't go through all of that this morning. And then I think of the, the Great Awakening in, in America with, with Jonathan Edwards. It's estimated that in 
two or three years, 30 to 40,000 souls were born in the family of heaven in New England, besides great numbers in New York, New Jersey, and in the southern provinces. Then I think about the Welsh revivals in 1859, 1904. Massive revivals. And you might think about the time when Billy Graham came. I was not here at the time, and I wasn't even born at that time. So I think it was around, was it 1956? 59. Oh, well, he, he came here, and the, and the MCG was full, and, and, and there was, there was a, a kind of awakening. Remember the, well, you, some of you would remember that, right? So God did extraordinary things. You see, the psalmist says this, he cries for revival because he knows that revival begins with God's people. It begins with us. When revival happens, our hearts rejoice. Ezekiel 37, we read this morning. There were dry, dead bones. Stephen Ma read that passage. Did you follow that passage? Dead bones, bones everywhere. Nothing can happen with bones. The dead. And Ezekiel is given a vision. And in that vision, God brings these bones and he puts flesh and he puts sinews and he puts muscles and Suddenly the bones, they are rattling. Sorry about that. Anyway. <laughs> rattling and they bang, bang. Oh, 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 oh. Bodies are starting to come. And God is saying to Ezekiel through that vision, the dead bones I am bringing alive through my breath. Isn't that what he does? Takes dead people, spiritually dead. We heard testimony this morning. Takes a dead guy like me, spiritually, and puts me here. I don't know why. He's given me grace to live for Jesus. And I serve Christ. No matter what happens, I put my my eyes on Jesus. And I say to the Lord every time, I want to serve you, whether it's St. Stephen's or wherever, it doesn't matter. It's going to be your will and your purposes. I will not be there in a place where God does not want us to be. Because nor should you, because we want to be right in the center of God's will for our lives. Is that right? For his honor and for his glory. You see our passion, our purpose. Robert Murray McSheen said this, I have often told you that a work of revival in any place almost always begins with the children of God. God pours water on him that is thirsty and then floods upon the dry Ground begins with God, begins with repentance. And friends, this morning, I can go on on this psalm, but let me bring this to a, a kind of a, a conclusion as well this morning. You see, look at this psalm. In, um, in, in 8 and 9, we are called to wait on God. It's waiting and working. Waiting on God is also working. Not just waiting, sitting around doing nothing. That's not what the meaning is. And then the last stanza of the psalm says this, verses 10 to 13. Love and faithfulness meet together. Actually, these verses are looking forward. And notice something in verse 10. What do you see in verse 10 of this psalm? Love and faithfulness meet together. What else? Righteousness and peace kiss each other. You see what the psalmist is saying? It is pointing to whom? My understanding of the text and commentators tell us that this verse is pointing to whom? To Jesus. In the King James Version it reads this, Mercy and truth are met together. 
Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And where did this happen? It happened at the cross. At the cross, God's righteousness and justice was met in Jesus. And revival begins when we know Jesus as our Savior. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him as your Savior? Do you love this Lord? Did you love him deeply? You see, these are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. You say, have you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus? If you're a Christian here this morning, then friends, this psalm also looks to an ideal state in this last stanza. The climax is one of the most satisfying descriptions of concord, spiritual, moral, and material to be found anywhere in Scripture. A guy by the name of Derek Kidner says of this last stanza in this psalm, a cry for revival. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed for gospel revival in your own life? When is the last time you got on your knees and said, Lord, revive me. I have lost that fervor. I have lost that passion. Are you praying that God would give you a deep love for him? Are you praying that God would give you a deep love for his word? Are you praying for continued revival in your life and for God to use you for his glory in this world? And friends, this psalm also presents a challenge for us. What about us, his people here at St. Stephen's today? Are we crying out to God for revival in our lives, in our community, in Surrey Hills? I want to say this as I close. When I was on leave a couple of weeks um, I visited two Presbyterian churches. I try and go to other churches to see what's happening. One church it was live, active, vital, growth, families. Wonderful. I went to another church in a fantastic location. Prime position. Big building, bigger than this one. Massive hall, complex, everything. I went for their service in the morning. Have a guess how many were there. Have a guess. 50? 40? No. Eight. Eight people. I came out from that church with a heavy, heavy heart. I said to my, I said to Rose, darling, I don't know what has happened? And I did some history on that particular congregation. It was a vibrant church. It was filled. What has happened through the years? And I thought to myself, we can never presume upon the grace of God in this church, right? Ten years down the track, I don't know what, where God will lead this congregation. I don't know. Unless Christ comes before that. You see... We have a challenge, a challenge to reach non-Christians for Jesus. Can you see that? We have a challenge to lay a foundation for the generations to come if Christ does not come before that. And we thank God for those who have gone before us, who's provided an that gospel ministry so that we can enjoy the blessings today. Have you thought about the future? I don't know. Eight people. 
So I want to encourage us to cry, to cry to the Lord for revival. I want to encourage us to cry to God for our nation. I want to encourage us to cry to God for revival in this world. And then let us in his strength continue faithfully and pray that we may live to see the breaking of a better day. And if not, to lay foundations the Lord will be pleased to use and own when the ordinary will again become the extraordinary in this place. Amen.